Well, good morning. It's great to see you. I kind of feel like I need to tell a joke right now, but you got to know I'm not the uh, I'm not a uh, great joke teller. I figured that out about my my life. But I did start. The, I did when I was writing the sermon. I did start with this uh, little story. A large dog walks into a butcher shop carrying a purse in his mouth, and uh, he puts the purse down and sits in front of the meat case. The butcher, uh, eyeing the dog, finally kind of jokingly says, uh, What is it, boy? Do you want some meat? As soon as he says the word meat, the the dog barks. And he realizes that he recognizes that word, and he he, uh, he was kind of amazed. And and so he well, let's take this a little bit farther. And so he starts to to, uh, name off the meats that are in the uh, the counter there. And he says, Do you want some liver? Do you want some bacon? Oh, what about some steak? And as soon as he says steak, the dog barks. And he realizes that this dog is, is trying to communicate with him. He's amazed. And um, so he takes it a little bit farther. Well, how much steak? Half a pound? One pound? As soon as he says one pound, the dog barks. And the butcher realizes that this dog is insanely intelligent. And he has just come in. And ordered a pound of steak. And so he wraps up this pound of steak and he actually takes money out of the purse that the dog had brought and um, puts it in a bag in the purse. The dog picks up the purse and begins to walk out. He's so amazed, he decides, I have to, I have to know more about this dog. And so he, uh, he just closes the shop up, locks the door real fast and follows the dog. The dog uh, walks down to an apartment complex where he goes in the door and climbs up to the third floor. But then the dog begins to stand at the door and he begins to scratch on the door. And uh, after scratching for a few moments, the door swings open and a man begins to angrily yell at the dog. And the butcher can't handle this. He's like, stop! He is the most intelligent animal I have ever seen. Stop yelling at him. To which the man replies, intelligent? This is the third time this week he's forgotten to bring his key with him. (laughs) You know, perspective is an important thing. And I have a lot of stuff here today. I'm not sure if I want to get into it, but basically the role of this series is to just simply talk about some of these key weighty things the scriptures talk about. Praise. You hear that word all the time in scripture. Thanks. You hear that word all the time in scripture. Joy. Uh, uh, you know, a huge theme in scripture. And um, often we have we realize it's there. We realize it needs to be a part of our life. Um, and sometimes we live in the, I ought to praise more. I ought to be more praiseful. I ought to say thank you more. I ought to be more grateful. And um, I, I just simply want to take some time and kind of maybe just uh, touch on these subjects and kind of help our perspective a, a little bit, maybe shift it a little bit and that the reason why these things are in Scripture are, um, are really for two, two reasons, for God's glory and for our good. 
And um, I think often we, we, we live in this kind of cycle of I, 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 I need to do the, I ought to do these, I, I'm not as much, and we, we, we miss maybe the greater reality of these themes in Scripture, that they're actually uh, God's way of, of enhancing our lives, uh, of creating more healthy spiritual uh, uh, lives. And um, I really believe it's, it's for God's glory, no doubt, but it's for our good. And I just want to remind you last week um, that really the only thing I, I really want to uh, stay with us is that um, praise is our confession that God has this. Then this whole dynamic of praise, absolutely, it, 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 it captivates our mind with who he is and his glory, his splendor. Absolutely, there is, there is the reason that praise exists in our heart is to keep perspective of who he is and who we are. But I believe that also that we are called to praise and that praise is a part of our life because it's a constant confession of faith that God has this, that God has this. I praise him, uh, like Ben said, whether I feel like it or not, whether it's going good or not, I praise him because it's my consistent confession of faith that God has this. And praise is given to us as a way to, yes, keep a perspective of God that's needed, but it's also a confession of faith between us and God that I am trusting in him always. And I praise him in the middle of the good. I praise him in the middle of the bad. I praise him in the middle of the mundane, the ordinator, the everyday life. The, it doesn't seem like much. I'm still praising him because it's my confession of faith that God has this. I think that's so important for us to grab a hold of that. And so this week I just want to talk about um, this word thanks. This word thanks. You know, according to what seemingly would be good logic, um, people in the United States should be some of the most thankful, happy people in the world. Wouldn't you agree? Amen. Yeah. We enjoy greater wealth uh, per capita than most countries. We have more opportunity for education, medical care, home ownership, car ownership, food availability, freedoms, and so on. And this word thanks should be something that it's, uh, you're speaking to the choir when you start to talk about this. Um, unfortunately, the reality is really different than what we think it should be. In fact, a recent Gallup poll ranked the United States 30 third in the world on the happiness scale 33rd Um, having more has not increased our happiness or our thankfulness in fact seven of the top 10 countries in this Gallup poll were in Latin America which generally always ranks low on the typical economic indicator scale Guatemala, um, a really impoverished country. Some of the happiest people in the world live in Guatemala. Uh, You know, despite the fact that in Guatemala there is escalating gang violence, high homicide rates, and a crippled economy, 
those people, by and large, are, are happy people, thankful people. Panama, um, 90th in the world in GDP per capita. Um, awful. They are some of the highest uh, in this poll of, of happiest people in the world. It was Bill Hybels that, that talked about this. And the reality is, is that the idea that being comfortable or having enough or um, uh, being blessed in this way, even materially, does not at all inherently increase happiness and create thankfulness in our hearts. In fact, we're way down there. And you probably understand this, don't you? Because you struggle with this probably, and I, I know I do. Um, it's kind of like the dog who does everything, but I'm looking at the one thing that they don't do. Um, it was one of the famous comedians who I, I thought it was interesting. He, he, he shared this, this bit where he, he just talked about over his lifetime he had watched the changes in the world and in his own life. He, 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 he was reminded, he said, when I was a kid, we had a rotary phone. Anybody remember the rotary phone? Yeah, um, some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. But he said, we literally had a phone you had to stand next to and you had to dial it. Um, he said, do you realize how primitive that was? You were making sparks. And you would actually hate people who had zeros in their number. Because you, you had to go farther. And then if you called and they weren't home, the phone would just ring and ring and ring and ring. And he said, now I look around at people and we've got our phones. And, and he says, often I hear them complaining about the fact that their phone's not working fast enough. He's like, give it a second. It's going to space. Will you give it a second to get back from space? It's, is the speed of light too slow for you now? He said, when you want money, you'd go to a bank, and it was open for like three hours, and you'd stand in line, and you'd write a check. And if you'd run out of money, you'd just say, well, I just can't do these things anymore. He said, I was on an airplane and there was high-speed internet and I'm sitting there and, and they say, well, now you can open your laptop and you can go online, you know, when that thing goes off. And he says, it's amazing. And, and then all of a sudden, it, it, it broke down on that plane he was on and, and they apologize and they say, the internet's not working. And the guy next to him says, oh, great, this absolutely stinks. He was like, how quickly the world owes him something he didn't even knew existed 10 seconds ago. He talked about how people come back from flights and they tell you their story. And it's a horror story. It was the worst day of my life. We didn't board for 20 minutes. And then we got on a plane and they made us sit there for 40 minutes. And he wants to say, oh, really? Really? And what happened next? Did you fly in the air incredibly like a bird? Did you partake in the miracle of human flight? Was everybody on the plane just constantly screaming, wow, we're flying. I'm actually sitting in a chair in the sky. He says, here's the thing. People say there are delays on flights. Delays, really? New York to California in five hours? It used to take 30 years to do that. 
and people would die along the way. And it's amazing how this word thanks truly is not tied to what we have. We would think it would be. And we would think, you know, I began to read his thing and I began to think, oh my goodness. You know, yeah, Chip, you got some of those first world problems. And, and you, you know what I mean? And, and I would think, man, but yet it's not tied to what we have. Um, researchers have proven what parents uh, probably have always known instinctively. Gratitude doesn't come naturally. It was her book, uh, The Gift of Thanks, Margaret Visser, cites a study which observed how parents teach their children to say hi, thanks, and goodbye. It said the children in the, son, in the study spontaneously said hi 27% of the time, goodbye 25% of the time, but thank you 7% of the time. And parents had to prompt their children to say these things at a higher, at certain percentage rates. And saying thank you was something that they always had to prompt their children to say high, much higher than anything else. In conclusion, the study uh, reasoned that children had a much more difficult time learning to say thanks. Visser states, eventually when children have matured and become further educated, they will come to be able to feel the emotion that the words express. The words come later, the words come first, the feelings later. And what the, the point of the study was is that learning to be grateful was something that was taught to them before they even understood what it was. But what is amazing is that they, they have found in their study that people who learn to live with this word thank you as a part of their vocabulary, it's just something they say often, it doesn't go away. In fact, what they've learned that is even in Alzheimer's patients, that people who were instinctu- instinctively grateful, who had learned and had incorporated this attitude of thankfulness into their heart even when they're forgetting everything else around them even when all sorts of ideas and concepts are disappearing from their mind as they're you know going through this terrible disease that thankfulness is one thing that always always stays and so I want to just take a look at this because it is a dominant theme in scripture and when you open the word you begin your your you encounter verses like this 1 Thessalonians 5.18, right? Give thanks in all circumstances. So inherently, we don't seem to do that. Uh, inherently, thanks, thankfulness is not tied to how good we have it. Um, it's just not a natural human thing to do. Um, and yet the scriptures look at us right, right very pointedly and say, listen, that the life of a Christian is filled with this idea of giving thanks in all circumstances. For what? This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I, I, I think you would notice that this is, this is in a command. It's in an imperative form. That the scriptures command us to give thanks. 
I think it makes sense because it's not something that we naturally do. It's not tied to what we have. So it's not like, well, the more you have, the more blessed you are, the more thankful you are. No, it's just a, it is a, it's a difficult thing for us to learn to, to uh, become a part of who we are. And so the scriptures realize this, command us, say it's God's will for you to be thankful in all circumstances. But you expected me to maybe say that today, right? You recognize that um, that's something that we've all heard. You should be thankful. You ought to say thanks. And the scriptures don't necessarily say that's not true. It commands us to do it, I think, because it realizes that we don't instinctively do that. And so it reminds us you need to be thankful in all things. But again, I think that's what most of us understand and know. And we probably live with this idea that I, I should be, I need to be, I, I'm not as much, right? If uh, we begin to unpack in scripture a little bit more, we realize that the reasons why this is important are, are pretty drastic. I mean, Romans chapter one, when Paul is describing the, um, <laughs> the depravity of mankind, the slide of mankind, the, uh, the awful picture of what has happened in our world as we have forsaken God, walked away, done our own thing, and the condition it leaves us in, in there is this, 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 this verse that gives us insight to how this happens. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, praise, nor did what? Gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so he's, he's helping us to understand that one of the reasons why we became in the condition we are is because there was an absence of being grateful or thankful to God. It plays a key role. I noticed in Ephesians chapter five, when Paul is talking to new people and he's trying to, a new, peop, new Christians, new believers who are coming from a, a way of living and a way of thinking that is so foreign from the, the, the Christian thinking and way. And so he's having to instruct them. And he, and he shares this. He says, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor there should be any obscenity, foolish talking, or coarse joking, which are out of place. And so he gives us, he's, he's giving them a little bit of a list. He's trying to help them understand, because they had no clue. I mean, they went to the temple, they went to church and participated in sexual activity. All right? I mean, that's a little bit different dynamic than what we, right? Um, That was what they knew. And so he's having to just instruct them that, listen, God's people, holy people who fall, there isn't a hint of sexual impropriety. And he goes down that and he's, he's trying to educate them. And so you would think that he says this and this, the immorality, impurity, greed, uh, obscenity, foolish talking, coarse, you know, these are things, and now he's gonna replace them with six positive things to replace it with. And he only does one. But rather what? Thanksgiving. You see, not only is thankfulness crucial 
it's not only crucial to recognizing who our creator is and seeing that a part of keeping ourselves connected to God is having a heart that's always grateful to him, it also is a way that helps us to live lives that are honorable before him. And these are just, I'm just dropping things in right now because this isn't the heart of what I want to get at. But I'm telling you that a grateful lifestyle is essential, it's core to experiencing the life God has for you. And that's why he says, in everything, give thanks, for this is God's will. What I really want to maybe just look at for a moment is this one story that Jesus um, experienced in Luke chapter 17. Because I think it just makes the one point, the perspective shift, the shift in perspective that I want us to just think about as we think about thanks, thankfulness, this dominant biblical theme. And in this season, next week, of thinking about this as a, as a culture, I just, wanna, just want one thing to stand out. Um, the story begins, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled among the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. So, leprosy is something that you and I have probably never encountered, right? I think they call it Hansen's disease in today's culture. But leprosy was one of the most horrendous, it was the worst disease of that day. It attacked the body. Uh, just the, the, the whole medical description of what leprosy did was horrific. Uh, the thing to me that stands out the most is it would attack your nervous system. And it would literally cause you to lose a sense of touch and feeling. Uh, Dr. Paul Brand has worked with uh, this disease in the modern time. And uh, he's written about it quite a bit. And he talked about the realization of how severe this is, even just attacking the nervous system and, and shutting down your sense of feeling. That Often he would work with uh, people who would come in and they would have cuts and they would have severe lacerations or they would have burns. And he, would, he didn't really, they didn't understand until they realized that leprosy so attacks the body that you lose your sense of feeling. And he says, literally, you become not only affected with the sores and the, the different things that are happening to your body and your voice and your eyes and you're, you're, you're losing, um, it, it's awful. But he said, not only that, but you would lose all sense of feeling. And he said, he's watched, literally, as somebody dropped a, a potato in a fire and just reached in and grabs the potato. And your flesh just burns because... But they, he said he watched as, as he was working with somebody one day and he literally um, 
was working like with a hammer and a nail and, and the, the, uh, the, the, the person uh, forced a nail into what it was supposed to go in and he was amazed but yet he saw that it was protruding out of his skin and he wasn't even flinching. Leprosy is just an awful disease and it was the worst thing of that day and um, it, uh, it created uh, a grotesque appearance. Um, it, it, it was a... It was, it was to be around somebody like that would be, uh, you would smell rotting, decaying flesh. Are you getting the idea today? Anybody headed for breakfast after this? You're like, stop. Just awful. And, and what happened, obviously, is they, become, they became isolated. They weren't, they weren't allowed within, I think, 200 yards of somebody. So they gravitated together and they lived together because, I mean, they were they, no more family. No more kids. <coughs> you lived outside the city. You begged to get by. Um, you, you, you just, that was your life. Awful. And Jesus is walking and encounters a group, a colony of these people, and 10 of them call out to him. They had heard, you know, just through the, through the, the, the grapevine that this Jesus was someone who healed. And the story goes... Uh, this way, I think it's interesting. Again, it, it's so common in Scripture. They called out and said, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said this, go show yourselves to the priest. Right? The priests in that day had a lot of different roles. But one of them was to declare if somebody was physically clean or healed. I am really glad it's not the role I have today. Um, but, you know, that was a common thing. If you're over your disease, the priest is the one who verifies it. And um, he says, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were healed. I, I want to stop there for a moment just because I can't help myself because this isn't the point of the story. But this is so consistent with so many other stories with Jesus. Jesus tells them to go. Now they weren't healed yet, right? They're still, and to go to the priest meant that something had happened, right? But yet, we see them respond even though they had not been healed yet. There was a belief and a faith that if this guy says this is gonna happen, it's gonna happen. And so I'm gonna go even though it's not happened yet because I believe. I'm headed to the place I'm supposed to be. I'm gonna show the priest I'm well, but yet this guy says go and I'm still this way. See, it's an incredible amount of faith. You know, if you read through the stories with Jesus, so often his favorite phrase was, because of your what? Your faith, this has happened. I just want to remind you today that if you're waiting, looking, hoping for God to do a miracle in your life or to move in a, a tremendous way or to help change circumstances, um, 
The way for that to start, I believe, is by right now exercising faith in him. It's not, um, Lord, as soon as there's enough money, I'll follow your instructions. It's not, uh, Lord, if you'll just solve this issue in my family, I'll start going to church. It's not, um, you know, uh, if, if you'll do this, God, I'll do this. God has always responded to people who in the middle of their problems reach out in faith to him. Amen? Amen. I'm amazed how often I hear people say things like this. Well, I just need God to come through here and if he does, I'll change the way I'm living. That's not faith. Faith is I gotta change. I gotta look to him. I gotta trust him in the middle of my desperate, difficult, bad circumstance. The essence of faith is right now trusting and believing him. Amen? Amen. All right, that's just a silent I couldn't help myself. But that's what happened. They go, and as they're going, they're healed. And this is what happens. One of them, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Again, there's a point to be made there, but not today. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner, this Samaritan? Um, as I read this, I, I have a few thoughts. You know, Jesus never commanded them to express thankfulness to God or return to him. He never said, go to the priest and come back and thank me. Did he not? He didn't. Nevertheless, this is what Jesus expected. Were there, where are the other nine? His expectation was that, correct? I would like to think that all ten felt thankful. I have no doubt that as soon as they're going, as soon as things are being just coming back miraculously and things are straightening out and functions coming back and things are changing on their body as they're going, I have no doubt that all 10 of them were over the moon about this. Amen? And I even happen to think that maybe some of them had the idea that, wow, this is, this is legit and I'm gonna show the priest and then I'm gonna take time at the temple to thank God. Maybe I'm being too charitable here, but I think maybe. But there's something about this story that shows us that the one who takes care of us is the one in whom we should always hope and be thankful to. You see, they were so caught up in what happened to them that nine of them were just so caught up in the the experience that they totally missed who that guy was. 
And Jesus is, it reminds us that it, it takes intentionality in this matter of being thankful. Yes, I've received these things and I'm thankful for this gift. But it's more than just a feeling, it's an act where we intentionally stop and pause and dwell and give thanks in our hearts and acknowledgement for the one who has fixed this problem, who has given this gift. You see, it's obvious to Jesus that accepting the gift and neglecting the giver is robbery. To Jesus, the failure of the nine was something that was spiritually scandalous. You see, to Jesus, the giving of thanks is a very core, serious attitude and perspective that the believer has. Because listen to this. He said to him, after he had come, and were not they cleansed, and where are the other nine, and is this the only guy that's come back? And he says this, rise and go, your faith has made you well. You start to look at this story, though, a little bit more, and you realize that there's three times that the word is either um, healed, cleansed, and well. Okay? You see healed, cleansed, and well. They were cleansed. That is a medical term. They were physically cleansed. The word healed is a medical term. Um, You don't care what those words are, but that's what they are. They're medical terms. But in this moment where this, this one came back and gave thanks and dwelt there and was thankful to the giver, when Jesus says, rise and go, your faith has made you well, this word well is a different word. It's not a medical term anymore. It's a spiritual term. It's the word sozo, the word for salvation. Your faith has saved you. You see, what I think this story is helping us to see is that gratefulness, thankfulness to the one who has given these unbelievable gifts. For him, it was the healing of leprosy. For us, it is the, the, the change from being spiritually dead to alive, to having sin, which is leprosy actually is represented as sin in the scriptures, to having a, a heart that was leprous, that was disgusting, grotesque. For us to dwell and spend time realizing that he is the one who has changed us and has made us new, has healed us, creates a deeper spiritual reality. And I simply want to remind you that this guy went not only from being healed, cleansed, okay, to being saved. Because why? He went back and opened his heart in gratefulness and thanksgiving to the one who had done this. And in that act, it became so cognizant of this is the one 
who is able to do. This is the healer. This is the giver of life. This is the one. And I recognize that. I acknowledge that. And in doing so, something spiritual happened in this act. That's what I want to remind you of today, just in this story. From cleansed, healed, to you're well. And it's a, it's a, it's a spiritual term. That always the reason for giving thanks to God is that it creates a deeper connection to God. It's not about, oh, he's worthy. We should thank him. We should. We ought. Well, guess what? Those things are probably true. They are true. But the giving of thanks is something that creates in our lives a deeper spiritual connection to God. He calls us to be thankful in all things, in all circumstances, at all times. Because in this act of giving thanks, something spiritual is taking place. And we are drawn ever closer, deeper connected to him. That's why probably the people that you look at and say they are the greatest saints of God I've ever met. I'm thinking of my grandma, okay? Um, I just... I, that's the person I think of first. You know what's always, always was always a part of her life? She was thankful everywhere, all the time. It's amazing. See, the people that live in that, that deep connection with the Father, Thanksgiving is a huge thing. They always are keeping their mind realizing who he is, what he's done, who they were, what they needed, how he's healed, how he's given, how he's changed, and they just can't help but always talk about being thankful. And in that giving thanks, it just continues to keep that relationship deep and close. I think this story shows us that thanksgiving creates a spiritual connection with God. You say, how does that happen, though, God? How does that happen? Or I'm not sure. Just give me something. I just want to leave you with something practical. And that's Psalms 136. Um, I think it just helps us to see how we can have that spirit, that lifestyle of thanksgiving. Listen to this psalm. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. So if I'm called to be thankful and the scriptures even given me examples of how this happens in my life, Psalms 136 is right up there and I'm telling you that giving thanks is, a part of giving thanks is giving thanks to God for his person. He's the God of gods. He's the Lord of lords. And to create in my life, no, I ought to be thankful or I can't help but be thankful is this recognition on who my God is. God of gods, Lord of lords. First three verses. I would say that the next five verses tell us that part of giving thanks is we give thanks to God for his power. Listen to this. In him who alone does great, who does great wonders, his love endures forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens 
His love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters, his love endures forever. Who makes the, uh, I can't even read it. Made the great lights, his love endures forever. The sun to govern the day, his love endures forever. The moon and the stars to govern the night, his love endures forever. So if I'm looking to be thankful and to encounter God and to live in this, well, how does that happen? Well, giving thanks is focused on who he is as a person, God of gods, Lord of lords, but it's also his power. I look around and I realize all of these things but it continues in this way. Verse 10, I, I see that not only is it his person, his power, I love this stuff. I did an alliterated thing today, all right? But it's his, pro, it's his purposes. Look it, we give thanks to God because of his purposes. And him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, his love endures forever. He brought out Israel from among them, his love endures forever. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm, his love endures forever. Listen to him as he just recounts all that God has done for them. How he has purpose for them and their lives to be free. Uh, to, uh, to, to him who divided the Red Sea asunder, his love endures forever. He brought Israel through the midst of it, his love endures forever. He swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea, his love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, his love endures forever. He struck down great kings and killed mighty kings, his love endures forever. Do you get this idea? It's when I'm thanking God, I, it, it, it's, it's not necessarily um, uh, I ought to, I should, I need to, I'm commanded to. It's I begin to focus on his person, his power, his purposes, and it begin to realize, wow, look what this this is what this God has done. Look who he, who he is. Verse 23. I notice as he's ending this that he thanks God for his provision. 10:23 through 26. He remembered us in our low estate. His love endures forever and freed us from our enemies. His love endures forever. He gives food to every creature. His love endures forever. And that's the way that they, they did this too. That phrase, his love endures forever. It is a way for it to be constantly on our minds. And my point today is giving thanks, it creates a deeper connection to God. You want to draw closer to God? Live grateful. It, it just, it, it brings you closer to him. That's why he calls us to be thankful. Not just because he deserves it and he's worthy. It's, it's his way of helping us to always stay connected close to him. The heart of gratitude, heart of thanksgiving. How does this happen? You say, so that's, that's how it draws me closer. What goes on with that? I'll just remind you, Psalm 136, it's about his person, his power, his purposes, his provision. For them, it was different than for you and I. But when we live thinking, dwelling in what he has done and not in what we think needs to happen, we live thankful. 
And when we live thankful, we stay strongly, deeply connected to him. And our lives are healthy. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I'm not sure I adequately conveyed what needed to be conveyed this morning. But there is no doubt, even from this story, that living grateful, being thankful, creates a spiritual activity that draws us closer to you. You're worthy. We thank you for all the gifts. But in that being grateful, we draw closer to you. That's why we desire to be thankful. And Lord, it's your person, your power, your purposes, your provision. And when we dwell on these things, when we allow our minds to go quickly to those and stay there, that a heart of gratefulness has sprung up within us. So Lord, help us not to live, I ought to be thankful, but to dwell on who you are and what you've done. And in doing so, a heart of thankfulness just springs up. The focus is not what I ought to do. The focus is on you, who you are, and what you've done. And out of that, we become grateful. We live thankful. And we can actually know what it is to, in every circumstance, give thanks and live out God's will for our lives. The focus is you. So create in us a deeper uh, understanding of who you are and what you've done. Lord, we pray these things. Make it so in our lives, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you this morning.